Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So how do you go about uh, curating your news feed? I'm, uh, I'm curious about this today. I'm curious to know uh, how you curate, what you read, who you read. Um, so part of this leads to a conversation uh, about trustworthy sources. Um, part of it leads to a conversation about how we not only represent ourselves, but as Christians, then I think, you know, the conversation we have to have is the way that I'm representing myself online uh, through social media a an accurate and fair representation representation of Jesus Christ? Because I am ultimately responsible to represent. That's what a representative is to represent Christ to the world. And so uh, that's that's going to be the the question. Um, I'm giving you the question here at the beginning of my uh, observation about a headline that I read this morning about a woman um, who spent years posing online um, as as something she is not. So she spent years posing online as a Native American scientist and university professor, um, none of which is true. And, uh, and she had uh, a fair following because she chose to represent herself as a Native American uh, bisexual person. And that meant that, you know, she accrued to herself quite a following. Um, When she then had her uh, fake persona contract the COVID virus and uh, and have to suffer from persistent symptoms of COVID-19 over many, many months and then felt obligated to kill her fake persona on Twitter, people started uh, inquiring. The New York Times inquired of the university where this person is supposedly a professor. And the university said, um, the persona behind that account. Uh, yeah, that is not anybody we know. That person does not exist to our knowledge, not on our faculty. And that led the New York Times to investigate the person behind the persona who was tweeting as uh, at sciencing underscore by, and to discover that uh, Beth Ann McLaughlin had been posing as a fake persona um, for many years. So if you happen to be a person who followed this person and believed what they were saying and took the information that she was offering as a scientist, as a Native American, as a uh, member of the LGBTQ community and advocacy, I mean, on and on and on. Pick your, uh, pick your storyline here. You were being led by a person who is not who they held themselves out to be. And I lift this up because um, many, many, many of us are just, frankly, really gullible 
And if we're reading something that resonates with what we already want to believe, something that already supports the narrative that we want to believe is true, um, we often do not do the due diligence of discovering who is it that's actually saying this. And and that leads me to the, the question, how are you curating your newsfeed? And how are you curating what you then pass along to others via your social media? Uh, and I, in part, lift this up because I continue to receive things um, from uh, from people via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I mean, on and on, um, even on LinkedIn, that are absolutely not true. There, it's, it is fake news of the worst variety. And it is being passed along by people who purport to be Christians. And when Christians are passing along to others what they have in turn received, and it is not consistent with the truth, uh, it is not it is not at all redemptive, it is not gospel, then we are absolutely misrepresenting the one whose name we claim to bear. We are misrepresenting Christ when we share with others, when we pass along that which is not truth and is not gospel. So uh, just, a, just a heads up today, um, there's a headline hook there, but really it's a, it's a personal question about how am I curating my own feed and what am I passing along to others, not only under my name, but in the name of Jesus. Next up, Peter Kapsner, he and I, uh, having talked last week about uh, pansexuality and polyamory, this week we're going to talk about transgenderism. Yeah, I know, because relationships matter and people are confused. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. He has been busily scrubbing his online avatars for the last few minutes. I have. I have. Yeah. I, that, that last story that convicted me, Carmen, I, I didn't want to be found out, so I scrubbed uh, all of my <laughs> avatars from, from Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I mean, TikTok at least has false data for me in China now because I've been making it up this whole time. But, uh, yeah, I needed to get rid of those as fast as I could. <laughs> okay, sadly, I mean, it's, yeah. Sadly, there are people... Who needed to go do that after hearing that I last know. story? I know. So there it's you go. It's actually really mm-hmm. true. It's really yeah. it is sad. There's no question about it. So uh, I have a range of headlines um, that I want to discuss with you, um, but the lead the lead among them is that that there is this story. It's featured in Vox. It's actually been featured in the Baptist News. Religion News Service has covered it, um, and this is a story about an individual who um, became a pastor is a man married with children. We learned that early in the story. But the story is really about this individual who now presents and identifies as a woman and in, a, in, a, in a, an online sermon um, came out to her congregation, which, by the way, has since responded by voting her out of office uh, because this yeah. is not who, she, uh, who they hired to be their pastor. Um, uh, one of the things that's just never addressed that I just find particularly horrifying about this whole story is that there's no attention ever given 
to the fact that obviously this person left his wife and his children in order to pursue this completely different identity. And this identity is one of utter confusion. Yeah, I, I think that is uh, the mo- well. It's among the most disturbing parts. I mean, there is the, the twisting of scripture. There's a number of different angles that we can go with on this. But, but to your point on this one, Carmen, I think that decision and and that the articles didn't even really cover what happened to uh, his spouse and his children, and and that there were these glowing articles that exalted the self and exalted self actualization and, um, and and self identity and and uh, somebody. Finally, you know, finding them true self, their true self, so to speak. I think that probably for me is the most disturbing part of it. But but it's consistent with uh, what you and I have talked about in the past, called the syncretism, or or when there is a blending of the ideas of the culture, and those ideas then blend in with the ideas of the church. And and I do love our country. I am not in the least anti-American. Um, and and I think we could just broaden it out past America and just say Western cultures have been defined by individualism. Yeah, and that includes a lot of Western European countries. That includes other countries in Asia and places around the world. And if you're not careful, if you have a misunderstanding of individualism, what was at the heart of it initially, it can be the sense that you are a free agent governing yourself in your own pursuit of happiness, and you should be allowed all freedom with which to do it. Now, we don't have enough time on on your program this morning to talk about how that's a misunderstanding of the original intent of individualism. But it is how it plays itself out right now, that every person should be at the center of their own universe and discover themselves and sort of squeeze as much out of life as they possibly can. That doesn't just happen in the LGBTQ community and in the story that we're referencing today. That happens with people pursuing their vocation. It happens with people pursuing their relationships. But uh, but this is a profound expression of a very self-centered version of individualism hitting the church. And the the story really glorified her coming out, as it were, but it didn't talk at all about the wake that her individualistic choices that were very self-centered left behind, including her family. But can you imagine being a parishioner of a church where the, the church is about 300 people where he uh, and now she was, was ministering, and those 300 people had no idea what was coming? I, I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners are watching sermons online, and can you imagine your trusted pastor that you look to as as a voice of a shepherd to help you understand and walk in fullness in God's kingdom decides to use the platform of the sermon to come out with their own journey of self-exploration and self-actualization and say, by the way, I'm actually a woman. Uh, I'm actually a pastor. And and the last part of that, she even, uh, he, this is so hard, right? Do Which pronoun will you pick? We'll stay with he. He even said uh, during the, the prep of the sermon that he thought, well, I could just make this decision and disappear quietly, but I don't want to do that. I'm going to, I need to use the public platform here. And it was under the auspices of saying, if there's even one child who's struggling right now that I can help them find peace, I'm going to come out publicly. But, but the, but the, just the, the wreckage and the carnage left behind, uh, people sometimes have trouble trusting their pastors because of some of the headlines. And this is another example of that is somebody using a, a platform of authority and, and just wreaking havoc then on the people in the church. And there are people listening right now who are saying, well, that is only taking place in liberal mainline denominations. No, um, right. And yeah, exactly. Uh, the, uh, the, the hard no there is important to hear. This person, uh, in fact, is Baptist. Um, and, uh, and so I do think that 
in addition to what's going on, let's say, in the PCUSA or in the ELCA um, uh, and the Episcopal Church, this is now happening among evangelical congregations. Um, and so it's not as if it's only happening over there, and therefore we don't have to worry about it. Hey, Peter Kapsler and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, we are going to continue this conversation because there are those uh, publicly advocating that the church is lagging behind, uh, and in fact, lagging behind its own seminaries on this topic of transgenderism, um, and not only embracing it, but advocating it as uh, as some kind of good. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Uh, all right, so in full disclosure, this is actually a conversation I have been engaged in professionally for a very long time. Yeah, um, you have. I, I, am, I, I am featured in a documentary um, about transgenderism in the PCUSA, um, and I am the only what we would describe as moderating voice. And so if people want uh, to watch it, you can go to outoforderdoc.com. That's for documentary, outoforderdoc.com. And the Carmen in that film, um, by the way, you'll never see my name in the credits, but uh, I am the the balancing voice in this LGBTQ conversation in the PCUSA that happened now a handful of years ago. So outoforderdoc.com. Because, you know, people need stuff to watch over the weekend. (laughs) I love it that they can stream you, Carmen. (laughs) You know, it's just the start of a budding movie career, I can tell. <laughs> oh no! When you watch it, you do think to yourself, "Yeah, she." They clearly picked her because they think she's like stiff and awkward. On uh, yeah, it's okay. I've read it, but Car- I've read and your stuff is it's really important. I've I've gone through some of your stuff where you were the moderating voice, and and I think for our listeners to 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 read and and see and hear some of that, I think is incredibly important because it is. You know, I know we're going to talk about the seminary headline in just a second, but but that's even part of the confusion is when the church is beginning to advocate for certain ways of life. Well, that's exactly right. If our seminaries. Um, we're, we're doing a better job, frankly, of, um, of holding the line uh, in terms of the authority of Scripture and what, uh, what it means for us in, in the lived reality of our lives. We would not be in the place where we have people who want, to, who want to present themselves as pastors and who want to pastor congregations who are transgender. Uh, and so talk with us about—this uh, is a religion news headline—as seminaries welcome openly transgender students— church lags behind. How could the church lag behind seminaries that technically belong to the church? How, how does that work? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple things that happen, um, and, and I'm not sure how a seminary lag behind. It, typically speaking, when I was going through seminary, and I, I managed to cram my four-year program into about six years, but, uh, but when we went through it, there was a sense in which what was being taught at seminary would take maybe the better part of a generation to really filter down and bleed into the church and the teaching and the practice and all of that. In, in this particular case, it seems like uh, there's, there's a sense in which the church and organizations made decisions that then uh, and, and denominations that then drove the content and how seminaries were going to be able to train their pastors in the future. So first of all, it's been a little bit backwards, but I think what that tells us, Carmen, is that it, it is what's been going on in culture, and specifically starting with the marriage amendment that you and I again have talked about a lot, that, that made gay marriage the law of the land, is that started a whole tsunami. And, and I remember talking in my class on sexuality at that time. I said, 
the tsunami, the tsunami has already come and gone. The question is, is what is the church going to do uh, now that it's swept over us in terms of changing ideas of our sexuality? And the church, the mainline denominations, as you referenced, like the Presbyterian and the Episcopalian Church and many others, went ahead and adopted the LGBTQ platform as part of their church, which then went that back to an, it, their seminaries in terms of training their pastors for the future. Not all churches did that, but it was it was done in the name of relevance that that the church needed to stay relevant and in step and in stride with the culture. And when I was going through seminary, those those conversations about being relevant were also very much part of the Baptist institution that I went through uh, for my seminary education. But relevance there was about maybe making sure that there was a coffee shop and making sure that there was live streaming video or making sure that it looked like culture. I I was already in those classes a little bit disturbed by that idea that, that for a church to be relevant means to adopt the way the culture actually is and begin to take its practices as its own. I would suggest to you relevance is something that will endure, something that will last, something that will bring peace uh, between uh, a person and God, peace with one another, that there would be um, a, a restlessness of soul that is calmed and uh, and brought into alignment uh, through the lens of love and, and all sorts of different things that we can talk about, because God's kingdom is going to re- remain forever and ever. Uh, our different expressions, where we think we're aligned with it, may or may not remain. And so in the name of being relevant, the Church uh, in, in many of these mainline denominations, but also increasingly in evangelical denominations, is beginning to adopt the posture of the culture. And I would suggest, Carmen, that uh, in my reading of Scripture and my understanding of the theological history of the Church, in terms of the psychology and the science behind all of this and the human experience, that it might be understandable why people are confused in adopting certain postures in their sexuality, but it is a, a significant deviation from scriptures and from theological history and from a lot of these other different angles. I don't know what life is going to look like 100 years from now, but uh, when we talk about lagging behind, hmm, I would suggest that uh, these things aren't going to remain in the end because they're not consistent with God's kingdom. And that doesn't mean we don't approach with grace and compassion. I, I think people understandably resist the the heavy-handedness that has been perpetrated upon the LGBTQ community, but that doesn't mean that the truth should be compromised. It needs to be uh, approached and held firm to through the lens of compassion and love. That is really hard to do, and our seminaries increasingly are not teaching that. They're simply adopting the posture that that has swept over us over these last six or seven years. So I'm reminded uh, of the ministry of Denise Schick, who uh, shares about growing up um, when her dad came out as uh, as a woman. Um, if your family is struggling with this, let me encourage you to check out Help for that's the number four Help for Families dot org. Um, and for those of you who are raising concern that um, I uh, haven't dealt with this uh, in, in a way that is um, uh, balanced. Um, I actually had Alex McNeil on my radio program. Um, Alex is a person who grew up as Katie, uh, is now identified as Alex McNeil, and is featured in uh, as the really the headline voice of the LGBTQ um, movement uh, mm-hmm. among this sort of pastoral class. And so, uh, just so that you know, I uh, uh, these are people with whom I have ongoing relationships and with whom um, I do engage on this subject matter area, but I do not do so. Um, abandoning the truth of the scriptures uh, or uh, or the gospel and God's redemptive design 
for humanity. Uh, Peter, thanks, man. As always, what a pleasure. Yeah, that's a great conversation, Carmen. I'm, I'm so glad you bring these things up in the way that you do. Well, thank you, man. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Yeah. We'll be right back. Well, that call to prayer by uh, our friends at Breakpoint and the Colson Center is a, is a call to prayer that is echoed by my next guest, Kathy Brenzel from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Uh, Kathy and I are going to talk about prayer. At this time of year, in this time of uh, our national and, uh, and international life, and how you're praying today, maybe in the spirit of Nehemiah. All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Life at times appears to fall to pieces. It seems irreparable, but it's going to be okay. How can you know? Because as John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. This is Max Locato. Those are God's arms you feel. Trust Him. Believe Him. Allow the only decision maker in the universe to comfort you. Since He has no needs, you cannot tire Him. Since He is without age, you cannot lose Him. Since He has no sin, you cannot corrupt Him. Paul said in Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? If God can make a billion galaxies, can't He make good out of our bad and sense out of our faltering lives? Of course He can. He's not just alive, but He is life Himself. John 5.26 confirms for us, the Father has life in Himself. He is God, and God loves you. This is Max Locato. Welcoming back Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can find what we're talking about today at nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, National Day of Prayer is right now seeking to change the atmosphere of prayer in America. Um, the the atmosphere of prayer might um, might in and of itself need a little uh, explanation. Um, talk, talk about the atmosphere of prayer you're seeking to change and how you're seeking to change it. Yeah, we're actually seeking to change the atmosphere of America with prayer oh, for amen. America. Yes, because uh, what we were just noticing is that people were getting um, very stressed and stretched and, and uh, <laughs> divided over empty chatter. You know, talking about things that we aren't experts in, uh, talking about our opinions instead of biblical truth, all of these things. And, you know, Paul warned Timothy, don't get caught up in that. And so we wanted to, um, A.R. Bernard said to me a few weeks ago, he said, never, ever underestimate the power of prayer to change the atmosphere. And so we thought America could use a shift in atmosphere. So we started what we're calling the Nehemiah Response and it's 52 days of posting a prayer based on the Word of God on our social media walls every single day. Nehemiah, you know, came in. There's a, there's a lot to this. We love it, uh, just kind of following the book of Nehemiah and what Nehemiah did. There was prayer, there was prayer, there was prayer. But then he also got out there, and he rebuilt the wall. And that's what we want to do on our social media walls 
And then as he rebuilt the wall and every person took responsibility for a piece of the wall. And um, I often joke, nobody's life verse comes out of Nehemiah 3. But um, it's just a list of people's names and their gifting from the Lord and the part of the wall they were responsible for. And the verses go on, and next to him was, and next to him was, and next to them was. And and I love that because we're trying to bring our prayer warriors of America together and next to me is, and next to you is, and and take a part of that wall and rebuild the atmosphere in prayer. All right, so I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to find the uh, the page, and yeah, let me just so tell we... folks that that I would recommend just typing in the whole thing: nationaldayofprayer.org backslash Nehemiah underscore response. Okay. Yep. Well, there's you got, you got an easier way? Page. Yeah, there's an article on our front page explaining it and also on our Facebook page. And that's where we're posting prayers every day. And then we've got coordinators and prayer warrior friends who have jumped into this response with us. So the idea is for you to post a prayer every single day and then uh, go to at least two other people's Facebook pages or Instagram pages where they've posted a prayer as well, pray in agreement with them. So the next to you is a moment, pray in agreement, and then share their prayer. And we are literally filling up social media with prayer and the Word of God right now. All right. I love that. Okay. So the easiest place to go then is to facebook.com. National Prayer uh, is the the National Day of Prayer's um, handle there. And the Nehemiah response, 52 Days of Prayer for America, is um, is right there. Okay. That's awesome. Perfect. Yes. Right, Fill so, the air with prayer. Turn our I, heads I love back. that. Mm, truth. So if we were to go there today, we would be posting, I think, uh, Lord, you are the source of all good things in our lives. I pray that whatever overflow of blessed, blessings you have given us, mercy, faith, resources, relationships, we would act in your spirit of generosity to bless others rather than keep your blessings and your gospel to ourselves. Uh, and then Matthew 6, 3 is the verse. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. Yes. So, get, you know, I just, in these days, <laughs> in these days of, uh, um, you know, you feel like sometimes it's just a shampoo, rinse, repeat. You know, people are calling this Groundhog Day right now where, uh, you know, many people are still quarantined or or limited and all of this. And so um, what the joy of the Lord has given us is we get up every day to love him, serve him, love others, serve them. And so we can find that in these prayers. We can find that in his word, your purpose for today. Okay. And then uh, tonight... August the 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern. You guys are doing the first Thursday prayer call, and all of that information is also uh, posted there on the National Day of Prayer Facebook page. Um, Mm -hmm. And that sounds great. Tell us what's going on there. Yeah, so every first Thursday of every month, we hold a Pray for America call. And the phone number is there on our website and our Facebook page. And we welcome you to join us uh, tonight. We have Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, on with us. And he'll be talking a little bit about the return. But we spend two hours from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Eastern time 
on the first Thursday of every month praying for America. Okay, I love that. So the National Day of Prayer is not just a, not just a one-day thing. I know we, we all focus in um, on the first Thursday of May as a way of uh, coming together as a nation. Kathy mm-hmm. Branzell is here today reminding us that every day is a day to pray uh, for our nation. Uh, and we are going to pray together for a change in the atmosphere of America. Um, so if you, uh, if you don't like the quality of the water that we're swimming around in right now, um, you can be an influencer in changing that through prayer. So it's called the Nehemiah Response, 52 days um, of posting prayer and scripture via our social media so that we are passing along to others that which is good and beautiful and true, um, recognizing that the fastest way to change the atmosphere is to change the atmosphere immediately around ourselves, right? The way we are, the fragrance that we are carrying out into the world. Um, so, Kathy, I just I love that. And I love this first Thursday call to prayer as well. How about we take a very brief break and we come back. Um, talk with us a little bit about um, praying back to school. E- even for those of us who may not be going physically back to school, we're all we're all in the back to school mode. So we're going to um, talk with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force about back to school in the pandemic and praying our way there. We'll be right back. Let us pray. Continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Talk with us about uh, praying back to school. Uh, and, and really, that's the only answer. You know, I was a school teacher for 10 years. Uh, this is the first year in uh, 27 years that I haven't had a kid in school. And um, we just we need to be praying wisdom. Uh, we need to understand that everyone is just moving at the speed of what we know um, as far as this pandemic goes. And, um, you know, I pray that nobody's out there with, with any kind of attitude of harm. We, we have to think mm-hmm. the best of people, uh, continually renewing our mind, renewing our spirit, stopping to think what's coming out of my mouth. And every time, here, here's what I've had to do, because these are, these are very troubling days. Every time I want to go critical or political, God has stopped me and said, mm, go biblical, because I, 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 don't, I don't know what's true. I'm not a medical expert, even though um, I live with somebody who is deep in the medical world and, and is in the trenches of this 15 hours a day. But that doesn't make me an expert. And, and we don't know all. We don't see all. God does. And so we have to keep returning. So please be praying for our superintendents. Be praying for our school boards. Be praying for our governors and city leaders and all the decision makers uh, press in and pray for teachers. There are teachers who are very scared to go back to the classroom um, because, and, and the children, you know, even this morning on the news, they were talking about the new side effects, the new issues that they're finding with children and COVID right here in Georgia, where I live. <laughs> we started school this week in several school districts we already in this first week of school have classrooms um, on quarantine where COVID cases have shown up. We're just, we're trying to do what's best. And right now, I, I don't know that we know what's best between the um, academic and psychological and emotional needs of our children versus the physical safety from the pandemic. And it it's a double-edged sword. So 
again, we just go back to pray, pray, pray. Yeah, I think the uh, uh, the worldly temptation to respond in fear, um, the worldly temptation to, um, you know, not go um, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, recognizing that, uh, you know, there, there are times and places when people risked their lives uh, in the midst of pandemics of old um, in order for the gospel to be extended to more and more people. And so I find myself, Kathy, um, you know, not willing to give in to uh, to the fear, uh, Mm -hmm. although remaining, you know, vigilant, wearing our masks, washing our hands, uh, practicing social distancing. We are doing all of that, but we're also not living in fear. Um, And we're, uh, you know, and I recognize for the students who live in my house, going back to school is is almost imperative. Um, because the other doesn't work, the distance learning, the you know, it doesn't work. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so um, so I do think that there's a, you know, there's every family is making these decisions in you know in the context of their own needs and the uniqueness of their own family environment, um, mm-hmm. and and so I think that one of the things we have to extend to one another in the midst of this is grace. I'm yeah. extending grace to those people who are absolutely so terrified. They are terror bound in their homes. Um, And so we're making sure that they, uh, you know, they still have access to the resources that they need um, because they are literally terror bound in their homes. They they Mm -hmm. have been paralyzed by this pandemic. Um, That's no way to live. That's not real life. And that is not, um, you know, that's not good. But, But we can bear the gospel to them in the midst of it, um, you know, by being people who Again, taking all of the precautions that are necessary, doing everything that we can um, for the good of ourselves and our neighbors and others. Um, We can use this as an opportunity to extend the gospel through kindness to other people. Yes. And we don't know what we don't know. And so while some are fear-bound in their households, others are health-bound, you know, in their household. Absolutely. The the vulnerable population, uh, those, you know, hypertension, cancer, even cancer survivors that are that are coming out but are immune deficient because you know there's everybody's got a story and know every fruit has a root we keep saying and so it's not for me to judge um you know we just armor up i i think we've talked about before how god made it clear to me that um his armor does not fit over my robe of judgment that I've put on mm-hmm. and his armor doesn't fit on over my garment of offense. And he's like, take those off. They don't belong to you. That's not what I've got, you know, for you to wear. What you're supposed to be putting on is love. And and so that's the only thing that his armor fits tightly and securely over. And so with that, we've we just we can't lose kindness. If we just go to love is patient, love is kind, you know, it goes into a lot of do's and don'ts in, in the in the First Corinthians 13 verses about what love is. But if I could just get um, and accomplish those first two, if we could perfect, wouldn't that be something? Love is patient, love is kind. Then uh, we would get through these days a, a lot easier, a lot better. Um, Kathy, I'm wondering, um, you know, when you think about the, the way that your own prayer life has changed over the course of the last five or six or seven months. Um, do you see, do you see patterns that emerge? I, I see one pattern for me, and that is um, much more lament 
Mm, that's good. Yeah, and and um, and search me, uh, search me, Lord, because you know I've I've just asked the Spirit to search me, convict me, cleanse me, fill me, send me, and in that order, because uh, you know from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, and I want to be speaking the word of God. Not my opinions, not my preferences, not my hurts of the day, not, you know, any of that. And so I'm just asking more. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, Holy Spirit. And um, when we ask for more, that always means less of us. And that's the patterns I've been looking for in Scripture. Um, I was sharing uh, when when uh, Paul connected me this morning with you, I just said, um, I, I look for a verse of the day that becomes my focus for the day. And today it was Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I believe that I shall, shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so um, it says, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. And so even though there's trouble in the now, today I want to live in the shall. And so my focus is going to be looking for God's goodness today and taking note of it and praising him and thanking him for it. So we've got to find the good and the glory in every day. Uh, We often pray, Lord, be with us. Uh, Lord, um, uh, show me your presence. And he's like, I'm here, look for it. And so I um, am just praying right now for all of our faith listeners that they're going to look for his goodness today. They're going to look for his glory today. And that's what's going to come out of our mouths. Okay, give us those uh, verses again. Psalm 27, 13, and 14. And um, can you also repeat the, uh, the search me list? Yes. So I'm, my, my prayer, this has been my pattern that's developed. Holy Spirit, search me, convict me, cleanse me, fill me, send me. I love that. Kathy Branzell, as always, thank you for um, your leadership in prayer. Thank you for the resources you provide for us and the invitations you extend to us uh, through the National Day of Prayer Task Force. I want people to go to nationaldayofprayer.org, participate in the Nehemiah response, the 52 days of posting prayers and scripture on our social media walls. Um, Also be praying us back to school. Um, And if you're like me, you've been taking notes this morning on the way that Kathy prays in her own personal life, the pattern of prayer, um, and this discipline of taking a verse of the day and allowing it to become the focus of the day. Kathy Branzell, as always, thank you so much. For your friendship. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right. Let's be mindful that uh, God has promised us that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. And let us be confident of this, says the psalmist. I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. All right. Those will be our, um, our marching orders as we go forth into this day. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.